Good evening, listeners, and welcome to Mercury in Retrograde. I am your host, Josh Snodgrass, and I'd like to thank you for inviting us into your living rooms as we present to you our pilot episode on the night before All Hallows' Eve. Originally wanting Treasure Island to be the first Mercury Theater broadcast, Orson Welles abruptly changed his mind a week before the recording to present Dracula by Bram Stoker, citing the changing narrators and locations were ideal for the radio. As a tribute to Welles and to the Mercury Theater whom our podcast is named for, our pilot episode will also be Stoker's classic tale about the vampiric count who travels to England for fresh blood and to spread his dark curse. Performing this tale are Tyler Rossi, Michael Garland, Veronica Johnston, Pasquale Grasso, Clifford Catania, Catherine Campbell, Nicole Weirbrook, and Jeremiah Miller as Dracula. So, close your curtains, turn down the lights, keep your ears open, and enjoy this classic tale of horror. I, Jonathan Harker. Lawyer's clerk, articles to Peter Hawkins, Esquire of Exeter, England, am writing this journal in hopes that if misfortune overtakes me, it may one day come to the eyes of those who love me. I set out from London on the last day of April to visit one of our clients in Eastern Europe. On May the 3rd, I arrived in Budapest and came after nightfall to Klausenberg on the borders of Transylvania. At Bistris, there was a letter of welcome for me, from our client, informing me that his carriage would await for me at the Borgo Pass. It was signed, Dracula. Bokovina, coach for Bokovina. The road was rough, but still we seemed to fly over it with feverish haste. When it grew dark, there seemed to be some excitement among the passengers. They kept speaking to the driver and looking at me, urging him on with a greater speed. Coachman! Coachman! What is it? Where are we? You're nearing your destination, young heir. This is the Borgo Pass. There were black, rolling clouds overhead, and in the air, the heavy, oppressive sense of thunder. Now, we were through the pass. The young heir is not expected after all. A coach with four horses had drawn up beside us. You are early tonight, my friends. Let me help you, sir. The coachman smiled, and the lamplight fell on a hard-looking mouth with berry red lips and sharp-looking teeth as white as ivory. We began to move. I looked back. The coach and its load of passengers had vanished from sight. Then, a dog began to howl somewhere far down the road. The baying of wolves sounded nearer and nearer, as though as though they were closing round on us from every side. I saw around us a ring of wolves running alongside the carriage in silence. Welcome to my house. I must have fallen asleep. 
carriage had pulled up in the courtyard of a vast, ruined castle. The coachwoman was nowhere to be seen. Welcome to my house. Come freely. Go safely. And leave something of the happiness you bring. Count Dracula. I am Dracula. The face was strong. Very strong. Aquiline. The mouth, so far as I could see under the heavy moustache, was fixed with peculiarly sharp white teeth. Hmm. You hear them, Mr. Harker? The wolves. The children of the night. As you say, Mr. Harker, the wolves. Listen. Come now. There are many things you must tell me tomorrow, of England and of the estate there you have purchased for me. Ah. Uh, yes. The estate is called Carfax, I believe? Yes, that's so. But now I will detain you no longer. You will find your room in readiness. And I advise you not to leave it during the night. The castle is on the very edge of a terrible precipice. A stone falling from the window should fall a thousand feet without touching anything. I explored. There are doors, doors, doors everywhere. And all of them locked. The door to the great hall, the door to the courtyard, every door in the castle is closed, bolted against me. Castle Dracula is a prison, and I am a prisoner. The next night, I could not sleep, so after a few hours, I got up, and, lighting my candle, I placed my shaving mirror on the dressing table, and just as I was beginning to shave. You seem reckless, Mr. Harker. I had not seen him, although the reflection of the glass covered the whole room behind me. I turned to the glass again. Count Dracula was close to me, and I could see him over my shoulder, but there was no reflection of him in the mirror. It was blank. I stared. I started and cut myself on the side of the throat. The blood was trickling down my neck. Count! My mirror! The blood. The blood. Wipe the blood from your face, Mr. Harker. And take care how you cut yourself. It is more dangerous than you think in this country. I awoke and found most of my things were gone. My passport, my notes, my letter of credit. I could find no trace of them anywhere. And my door was locked from the outside. June 20th. There is some kind of work going on in the castle. Now and then, I hear the far-away muffled sound of matlock and spade. And last night, the second of three dated letters with Dracula made me write, the second series of which was to blot out the very traces of my existence from the earth that went forth. Count Dracula. Yes, my young friend. Well, what of me? When am I free? When can I leave this place? Free? Mr. Harker, you are always free. You want to leave? Would you like to leave tonight? Yes, 
Yes, in God's name! My dear young friend, not an hour shall you wait in my house against your will. Come, follow me. Your door seems bolted. How strange your door is locked. Well, in God's name, open it. As you will, Mr. Harker. You English have a proverb which is very close to my heart. Welcome the coming. Speed the departing guests. Good night, Mr. Harker. Shut the door. Shut the door, I tell you. Shut the door. Shut, Mr. Harker. I take it you will remain? Morning. June the 30th. These may be the last words I ever write in this diary. Oh, God preserve my sanity! I have never seen Count Dracula by day. At sunrise, at the first cock crow, he is gone. I... I don't understand these things. I only know that the wolves are baying, and that he is a man with hair on the palms of his hands, with sharp teeth, and no blood in his face. He casts no shadow. He cannot be seen in a glass. And he moves like a bat across the sheer face of the castle walls. He eats no food and is mortally afraid of the crucifix. As I write this, I hear in the courtyard the rolling of heavy wheels and cracking whips. Help! Help! I'm alone in the castle! I'm alone! I'm alone. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Seward. Mr. Harker's journal terminates at this point. I now present in evidence a clipping dated August of that year from the Yorkshire Telegraph, from our correspondent in Whitby. One of the greatest and sudden of storms on record was experienced here today. The weather's been somewhat sultry, but Saturday evening was fine. The band was playing and the piers were crowded with holiday makers. The wind fell away entirely during the evening, and there was a dead calm. There were but a few lights at sea. The only sail noticeable was a foreign schooner, under full canvas, that was seemingly going westward. A little after midnight came a strange sound from over the sea, and high overhead the air began to carry a strange, faint, hollow booming. Then. Without warning, the tempest broke, and there, with all sails set, was the foreign schooner rushing with terrific speed toward the shore. A searchlight was turned on her, and there lashed to the helm was a corpse, with drooping head which swayed horribly to and fro at each motion of the ship. A moment later she crashed, and then a strange thing was seen. At the very instant she touched, a huge dog sprang up on deck from below 
and running forward, jumped from the bow onto the sand, and making straight up the east cliff toward the graveyard, vanished into the night. The coast guard, going abroad at dawn, found the dead man fastened to a spoke of the wheel. Tightly clutched in one hand was a crucifix. The man must have been dead for quite two days. In the pocket of the dead man's coat was found a bottle, carefully corked, containing a roll of paper. This proved to be an addendum to the ship's log. There was found on board only a small amount of cargo, and that of a most unusual nature. Apparently the ship carried nothing but earth, common earth, packed away in wooden boxes, shaped much like coffins. Log of the Demeteer, Grossed Flag, Black Sea will to Whitby. July 29th, had single watch tonight as crew too tired to double, when morning come. Captain! Captain! The men on watch are missing! More missing! Now, only self and mate and one hand left the work ship. August 3rd. Two days of fog and not a sail sighted. At midnight I went to relieve the man at wheel and when I got it I found no one there. It's here! I know it now! I saw it, like man, tall and thin and ghastly pale! What? What is it? What are you talking about? It's here. And I'll find it. It's in hold. In one of those boxes of earth. I'll unscrew them. One by one, and see! He's mad. Stark raving mad. It's no use trying to stop him. He can't hurt those big boxes. They're an invoice as common earth. to jump overboard. It was better to die like a sailor in the blue water. But I am captain, and I must not leave my ship. I shall tie my hands to the wheel. My strength begins to fail, and along with them I shall tie that which I dare not touch, my crucifix. I am growing weaker, and the night is coming on. Telegram, Seward, Cure Fleet 2, Van Helsing, Amsterdam, Lucy was tenra, in alarming condition, cannot diagnose, come at once, Seward. Telegram, Van Helsing, Amsterdam, to Seward, for fleet, I am on my way to you, please arrange for me to examine your patient immediately upon my arrival, Van Helsing. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall now explain that six months before the events recorded here, I had become engaged to a young lady, Lucy Westenra. We were to be married in the spring, 
my old teacher, Professor Van Helsing, arrived at four the next afternoon. I took him at once to Lucy's house. She lay in her bed, asleep. She was ghastly, chalky pale. The red had seemed to have gone even from her lips and gums, and the bones of her face stood out. Young miss is bad. Very bad. She must have blood, or she will die. Yet, yet she's not anemic. The qualitative analysis of her blood is quite normal. Strange. I do not like to think how strange. Look, my God, her throat, look! A red mark on her throat. Just over the external jugular vein were two punctures, not large, but not wholesome-looking. The edges were white and worn out. Well, well, what is it, Professor? You can tell me the worst. I wish I could, Seward. I wish I could. But I dare not. I'll tell you this. If you leave her for one moment and harm befalls, sleep easy thereafter. September 8th. I sat up all night with Lucy. Arthur, I'm afraid. My dear, you can sleep tonight. I am here watching you. Nothing can happen. And I promise at any sign of bad dreams, if I see anything, I'll wake you at once. You will? Will you really? I sat all night by her bedside. She did not wake once during the night, although the boughs or a bat or something flapped almost angrily against the window pane. September 11th. Still quoting from my private journals. At this time, I received a message from Pure Fleet. It read, 10.20 p.m. St. John's Hospital. Serious complications. Case 891. Your immediate presence in London imperative. I had no choice. Sometime later, a paper was found among Lucy Westenra's belongings. I write this and leave it to be seen so that no one by any chance may get into trouble through me. I went to bed as usual, taking care that the window was closed, as Dr. Van Helsing had directed. <coughs> About two in the morning, I awakened. <coughs> I went to the door, called out, Arthur, Arthur. There was no answer. <coughs> Something's broken the window. I'm in the room alone. I dare not go out. The house seems to be empty. The air is full of specks, floating, circling in the draught from the window. And the light burns blue, dim. What am I to do? Something very sweet and very bitter all around me. Like I'm sinking into deep water. And they're singing in my ears. You shall be the flesh of my flesh. Blood of my blood. September 12th, late. We found her sprawled on the floor, and there was a draft in the room from the broken window. 
Just throw it to a spare, showing the two wounds looking horribly white and mangled. We are too late, my friend. We have failed. God's will be done. She is dying. Yes, she's dying. Stay beside her. It will make much difference, mark me, whether she dies conscious or in her sleep. It was late in the afternoon before she opened her eyes. Arthur, oh my love, I'm so glad you've come. I took her hand and knelt beside her. Her breath came and went like a tired, peaceful child's and light from the setting sun fell on her face and then, insensibly, a strange change came over her. Her eyes grew suddenly dull and hard. Her breathing was heavy. The mouth opened and the pale gums drawn back made her teeth look large and sharp. Arthur, ah, my love, I'm so glad you've come. Kiss me. Bend down. Run for your life! Run for your living soul and hers! Lucy! She's dead. It is only the beginning. Westminster Gazette. September 25th. A Hampstead Mystery. The Kensington Horror, The Stabbing Woman, and The Woman in Black are vividly recalled to mind by a series of events that have taken place recently in the neighborhood of Hampstead. Several cases have occurred of young children straying from home or failing to return from playing on the heath. In all these cases, the children have given as their excuse that they have been with a beautiful lady who offered them chocolates. In each case, the child was found to be slightly torn or wounded in the throat. The wound seemed such as might be made by a rat or a small dog. The Hampstead Horror. Another child is injured by the beautiful lady. We have just received intelligence that another child, missing last night, was only discovered late in the morning. as the same tiny wound in the throat. Well, Seward, what do you think of that? I understand none of these things. After tonight, Seward, if you dare to come with me, perhaps then you will understand. September 29th, before dawn, now it is done. And I would sooner die a thousand deaths than to live again what I did this night. We'll spend the night, you and I, here in the churchyard where Miss Lucy is buried, we enter the tomb. And then? Huh. We open the coffin. Take care, Van Helsing. Lucy is dead. Is it not so? Then there can be no wrong to her. But if she is not dead... With some difficulty, we found the West Tenra tomb. I took up my place behind a yew tree on one side of the tomb. Van Helsing on the other. I was chilled and frightened. Suddenly, I saw something moving between the two yew trees, a dim, white figure which held something at its breast. The figure stopped. I could not see the face, 
for it was bent down over what I saw to be a fair-haired child. There was a sharp little cry, such as a child gives in sleep, or a dog as it lies before the fire and dreams. Then the thing saw us. She drew back with an angry snarl. Her lovely, blood-stained mouth grew to an open square. Then suddenly, she turned and vanished in the direction of the tomb. The child's not harmed. We leave him in a safe place where the police find him. There's more to do. Come. Now we're in the tomb. There in the coffin, the thing lay like a nightmare of Lucy. The pointed teeth, a blood-stained mouth. Van Helsing never looked up. From his bag, he took out a book, his operating knives, a heavy hammer, and a round wooden stake two or three inches thick, sharpened to a finer point, and hardened over fire. Seward! The life of this unhappy woman is just begun. Then she becomes what you call undead. There comes with the change the curse of immortality. She cannot die, but must go on age after age, adding new victims, because all that die from the preying of the undead become themselves undead and prey on others. So the circle goes on, ever widening, as of the ripples from a stone thrown into water. But if this lady, this undead, be made to rest as true dead, then the soul of the poor lady who we love Tell me, what am I to do? Take the stake in your left hand, the hammer in your right. Yes. Place the point over the heart. Yes. Then, then I begin the prayer for the dead. In God's name, strike! <laughs> Are you ready? Domine, Deus, Preaste. On the morning of July 11th, a man was found on the border of Transylvania. He gave his name as Jonathan Harker. In a hospital at Klausenberg, he improved sufficiently to make possible his removal to England. But then his condition remained so serious that he was committed for observation to a private ward in my hospital at Purefleet. Here he did so well that in three weeks he was completely recovered. It was during this time that his wife, Mina Harker, brought to the attention of Dr. Van Helsing and myself the journal that her husband had kept while in the castle of a certain Count Dracula in Transylvania. I have before me the record of a meeting that took place in my study in Purefleet, transcribed by Mina Harker. October 1st, meeting again, turn after 8. Jonathan next to me. Dr. Seward afterwards, and Dr. Van Helsing at the head of the table. My friends, there are such things as vampires. Had I known at first what now I know, one so precious a life 
would have been spared for the many of us who love her. The vampire which is amongst us is himself so strong that he can direct all the elements, the storm, the fog, the thunder. He can command all the meaner things, the moth and bat, the owl, the fox and the wolf. How then are we to begin our stride to destroy him? How shall we find his place? And having found it, how can we destroy? My friends, it is a terrible task that we undertake. To fail here is not mere life or death. If we fail, we become as him. What do you say? I answer for myself. I'm with you. Come near. The professor laid a small golden crucifix on the table. We took hands and our solemn pact was made. My friends, we too are not without strength. The vampire flourishes on the blood of the living. Without this, he cannot live. He throws no shadow. He makes no reflection in a mirror. He can transform himself into a wolf, to a bat. He can come on moonlight rays as elemental dust. He can see in the dark. He can do all these things, yet he is not free. His power ceases at the coming of day. Then until night, he must remain in the shape in which he finds himself and Except in his coffin home, in those earth boxes, he cannot rest. When we can confine him in his coffin, then, my friends, if we obey what we know, we can destroy him. At that moment, something flapped wildly against the window. Then, we looked out of the window. Against the black sky, you could see. Nothing. From the Count's castle in Transylvania to Whitby came 50 boxes of earth. All of these, to our certain knowledge, were delivered at Carfax. Recently, 12 of these boxes have been removed. We must break each of these boxes and sterilize the earth with holy water so he can no longer seek safety in it. And we must hurry. The events of the next few days are described in Jonathan Harker's journal. October 2nd, 5 a.m. Just returned from the empty house. Left Mina here at home. Well, we've done our work at Carfax. The place was filthy, the air stagnant and foul, and alive with rats. We counted the boxes. Only thirty-eight of them. And over each one, the professor went through his same mysterious work. It was dawn when we got back. I found Mina asleep. She looks paler than usual. October 2nd. Soon after they left, I fell asleep. I remember hearing the sudden barking of the dogs. <coughs> 
and then it was silent. I got up and looked out of the window. There was a thin streak of white mist moving across the grass along the wall of the house. It dawned on me that the air in the room was heavy and dank and cold. The gaslight came only like a tiny red spark in the fog. I could see through my eyelids. The mist grew thicker and thicker. Then... You shall be flesh of my flesh. Blood of my blood. Of my blood. October 4th, morning. Another meeting in the study at Purfleet. We must find that last remaining box, gentlemen. We must find it. As long as that earth exists and pure, as long as there remains one place of refuge for Dracula, there is no safety and no peace for any soul in England. And for the undead, never peace so long as he lives. Blood of my blood. Blood of my blood. Mina! With me. With me always. Over land and sea. Mina, darling! How did you know that Dracula said those- I don't know. The words just came. Strange. There are times when somehow I feel that I'm with him. At sunset? Yes. Just at sunset, and again at sunrise, Dr. Van Helsing, if I could, if at that time you... Have you the courage? What are you doing? Dr. Van Helsing here will question me. The one you love is already mine, he said. She is with me always over land or sea. <laughs> ah, Perhaps she will betray you if she really is with you, this one we love. Who knows if she is really with you over land or sea. Blood of my blood. Mina! Yes? Answer me, Mina. Are you with him? Yes, I am with him. Where? I do not know. It is all dark. Still. Oh, so still. It is like death. It is like death. Are you with him, Mina? Tell me, are you with him? I am with him. What can you see? Nothing. All is dark. Lapping waves and rushing water. Darkness. Darkness and wind. Lapping waves. Rushing water. Rushing water. Darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, all the evidence is now before you.
There remains only this one last report. October 30th. Evening. There are two ways in which Dracula can get back to his own place. By land or by water. We've examined the map and find the most likely river is the Sereth. You and I, Seward, will chart a steam launch and follow him up the river. Then Helsing and Mina will take a train to Veresti. And from there... From there we shall go in the track where Harker went to Bistrix, over to Borga. If you have not caught him before, we shall be meeting Dracula there. October 31st. We arrived at Veresti at noon. Von Helsing and I brought the carriage here. We start in an hour. Our enemy is still on the river. We've got horses, and we follow on the track along the river. We are armed. Look, quick! There they are now, heading west! Through the dawn, we could see the Slovaks, some miles before us, dashing along the river with their wagon. On it is a great box. Von Helsing, look! Look! We see two horses following fast, coming up from the south, Seward and Harker. The Slovaks with their heavy wagon are losing ground. Now the horses are not more than a mile behind. Now the wagon is quite close. We can see the great box swaying bravely. Now has happened a strange thing. The wagon smashed into a great rock buried in the snow. Across its front wheels and turned over on its side, jammed against the stone. The Slovaks scattered and vanished after them. Silence like comes after ringing a bell. Look, his face. It is Dracula. Sunset. In one minute it is sunset and he is forever lost to us. Now Seward, pray for us. Kneel down and pray. Harker, the stake of wood over his heart. The hammer. Now, Harker, strike. Strike. The others couldn't, but somehow I can hear him speaking behind his eyes. Flesh, flesh of my flesh, guilt of my guilt, death of my death, speak and be manifest in the instant of your master's terror. Console me, my children, this instant is no longer than the space between me two heartbeats. But the night is not here, and I am lonely. Strike! one very dear to me who has not answered. My love, Mina! There is less than a minute between me and the night. You must speak for me. You must speak with my heart. Give them to me. Mina! Jonathan, give them to me. The stick of wood and the hammer. Flesh of my flesh, come to me, my love. Come into the night and the darkness. You have served me well, my love, my bride. When Mina Harker seized the stake and hammer from her husband, I believe she was under some form of 
hypnosis. It was Mina Harker who drove the stake through the heart of the thing that called itself Dracula. At that instant, even as we looked, the wound on the side of her throat was no more. As for Dracula, before the screams of the creature had died from our ears, the whole body crumbled into dust and passed from our sight. In the final moment of the solution, there was in the face a look of peace as I could never have imagined might have rested there.